same conversation where at the end of it, your coworker takes off their glasses, peels back the hair, revealing that it's just a wig, and instead it's the CEO of the company. Everybody seen Undercover Boss? <laughs> that would carry a different authority with it, wouldn't it? That blessing, that pronouncement over your life, all of a sudden would take on new meaning because it's rooted in actual authority and the value is there. Uh, just yesterday I was at a birthday party with uh, Zoe and Milo and it was at uh, Skateland, which has a little arcade, and so every kid at the birthday got a little satchel of coins that they were able to go and play the arcade games, and you guys know how it works. You, you, you play the games, it probably costs you four or five dollars to, to put in the coins. You get about 30 tickets, and then you go over to this little booth, and there's these little prizes, and uh, for the, the cost of 40 tickets, our kid was able to get a, a box of nerds. <laughs> the most expensive box of nerds we'll ever buy. And so those prizes don't have much value. But you can imagine getting the news that you've received an inheritance from someone wealthy in your family worth millions of dollars. So authority changes blessing and the value of the blessing itself. So our problem as it relates to benediction, to the good word of the gospel, is that we don't authorize the right voices in our lives. We don't value the right things. Because of sin, because of our brokenness, we tend to receive blessings and curses, both work the same way, from sources that do not have the proper authority. We adopt a, a wrong set of values by which we assess our life. And the biggest one of all is that we fail to perceive and receive the blessing that is found in the gospel because we have a problem with authority. We don't believe it. We don't trust God's authority. We don't trust the goodness of Christ. The author, uh, the, author the, the songwriter, Johnny Lee, country artist, wrote the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Or if, if you've watched uh, Eddie Murphy and SNL, Wookin' Penub in All the Wrong Places. <laughs> and it says this, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes and looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. Our hearts are this way. We're looking for blessing from too many places when we find it here in the gospel. Blessing is rooted in authority and value. The second foundational thing I want us to see about blessing is this, that we are blessed to bless others. God's blessings don't extinguish in themselves, but rather his blessings overflow and continue to bless beyond that. We see this in the creation story. Everything God creates is meant to be in a harmonious relationship. It's called shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. We see that everything blesses each other. We see that the blessing that God gives to Adam and Eve with his image and his purpose is for them to act as his ambassadors to the creation, to take what is in the garden and to continue to expand it to all of creation, to subdue the earth. So they are called, they are blessed to bless. We see it in the calling of Abraham. When God comes to Abraham and tells him he's going to make his name great and turn him into a, a, a huge nation, why does he do this? He does it so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. We are blessed to bless others. Our problem, though, because of sin, is we tend to view blessing as something that we hoard, something that we would keep to ourselves for comfort, for pleasure, just our own. 
The gospel is calling us to see the authority of Christ, the infinite value that is offered by his presence in the gospel, and then we are called to bless others as a result of that blessing. So that is the foundation for benediction. So I ask you, who in your life has the authority to bless you? What kinds of values are you calling blessing? God is the authority, and Christ is of infinite value. So let's look again at our passage. Now we're going to move on to actually uh, engaging this, now that we've sort of laid the groundwork. Paul writes in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, That phrase is why I chose to preach this passage. When I was a teenager uh, is when I uh, became saved. It was the summer after my senior year of high school, and uh, my mom sort of signed me up for a Christian summer camp that I I didn't even know she was going to do, and I didn't want to go, and I went into that camp a very uh, broken and hurting individual. Uh, While at that camp, uh, we would begin every single evening session uh, with a singing of Amazing Grace, and the person who ran the camp at the time had a brother who happened to be blind, and that brother would get up and lead us in the singing of Amazing Grace every single night. And you can imagine, as we sang the lyrics that I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, uh, it was an incredibly moving thing. Uh, and I opened my eyes one of the nights, it was a two-week camp, it was right about the midpoint, uh, and just looked around at the other kids in this room, and it just became so apparent that there was something that they had in their lives that I did not have in mine a certain kind of joy, a certain kind of peace. It was as though there was a good word spoken over them that I felt was only curse over me. And so what I remember is the next day there was a big activity where you were supposed to sign up for one thing or the other, and I started kind of playing both hands. Anybody who asked me, I'd say, well, what are you doing? They'd say, I'm going here, and I'm going, I'm doing the other one. And then someone over here would say, I'm doing that one. I'd be like, "Ah, I'm doing the other one. And I stayed back at the camp and just hid out in my room, And all I could do was open the Word of God, and I just voraciously read the Scriptures because that night, when God got a hold of my heart, I realized that there was an authority. There was blessing. There was infinite value available to me, and somehow it came to me in this book. And I want you guys to think about that. When we talk about the authority of Scripture, what do we mean? When we talk about the authority of Scripture, we mean to say the authority of God. God has shown his authority in multiple ways in the creation itself. He's shown it by giving us his image, free will, but he's done it in his mighty saving acts throughout history. And he's done it by coming to us in the flesh, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we deserve. How do we learn about all of those saving acts of God? comes through God's word. So God, the God of authority that made the universe, made you, made me, has seen fit to put and exercise his authority in the scriptures. And for whatever reasons, that became apparent to me at that camp, even without hardly knowing anything. And I sought the word, and I wanted the word to dwell richly in my heart. So when I saw this passage, um, That phrase struck me. And so that's what we're talking about today. How does God's word, God's authority as exercised in scripture 
the way that God has seen fit to give it to us, how do we dwell? How do we let it dwell richly in our lives? So thankfully, uh, we could talk about a lot of things here, but Paul gives us uh, three. First, he says, a sign of God's word dwelling richly in us is this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So a couple things that this implies. In order to teach and admonish one another, we need to, A, know what it is we're teaching. So Christ's, uh, sorry, Paul's uh, description here, to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, implies that we are to know the word of Christ. So yes, that means the Bible, but more specifically it means the gospel, the word of Christ. Paul is saying that we need to know it. And not just the information of it. It's to know the application. It's to understand the gospel in such a way that it begins to work in our lives. Some of the ways that I think that this is true, this, this understanding the gospel, is in your story. You need to see that your story is encompassed by the biblical story. That the gospel of Christ, Christ has become the centerpiece of history that you cannot view history without looking through the lens of Jesus Christ if what Paul wrote in Colossians 1 is true. He is before all things. He made all things. In him, all things hold together and exist for him. He is the centerpiece of history. So that means your story gets swept up into the biblical story. So when we say the information of the gospel, it's not just information. It's something that has changed our life. It redefines our life. It is the good word spoken over our life, the most authoritative word. This should impact our relationships, how we view one another, particularly in marriage. What it means to be married, to, what it means to be married. It means covenantal faithfulness that we see as Christ loves the church, so we are to love one another. He gave himself up for the church. We're to see the gospel worked out in the ways that we pursue justification. Uh, next time you're having an argument with a, a good friend or, or your spouse or whoever it may be, ask yourself, why am I trying to justify myself so intensely through this argument? I'm trying so hard to be right and to prove to them that I'm not bad. I didn't mean what they're accusing me of. I'm not a bad person. I'm just. See that I'm just. But if the gospel is true, if we begin to flesh out the gospel in our lives, like Paul is saying, understanding the gospel, we'll see that we are justified in Christ. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin, us in our brokenness, but rather he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means to be justified. You stand just before the eternal God. And so if that's true, could that change our relationships and our pursuit of how we justify ourselves? Would that free us to be able to say to our spouse, you know what, you're right. I probably did that. Even if I didn't know I did. I'm capable of that because I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Praise God. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. Could you forgive me? I, knowing I'm justified in Christ. And lastly, our work. Uh, understanding the gospel. Fleshing it out in the work of our hands. How does the work that I'm doing reflect the truth of Christ? Can I work with a different sense of excellence? Rather than working hard to try to prove myself, I am proven in Christ, so I'm working out of joy to reflect the truth of God's goodness. A pastor out of Tacoma named Jeff Vanderstelt describes what I'm talking about, understanding the gospel 
as gospel fluency. And he uses this wonderful illustration to talk about the process of learning another language. When you begin to learn a language, you start with just uh, nouns and verbs, and over time you start to learn how to conjugate those verbs and to actually form sentences, but it's all very clunky at first. But as you learn a language, you get to the point where you can have a dialogue with people. You can be immersed in the culture and have dialogue with other people in that language. And he says the ultimate form of fluency is when you begin to dream in that language. It's become a part of you. And so this is what we need in terms of being able to teach and admonish one another. The first thing that it implies is knowledge of the gospel, not just the information, but the application, the working out of it in our lives. The second thing that this implies is community, teaching one another, Paul says. So we need venues where we can teach one another. Um, obviously, Sunday morning is a venue where we come weekly and worship. This is the centerpiece of what this church does, is, is weekly worship. But outside of weekly worship, the next most important thing we feel like we do is our gospel communities, our small groups, uh, because we feel that Sunday is not really enough. Uh, it's one thing to come here and worship, but we need to be taking the worship on Sunday, uh, the sacraments that we celebrate, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we need to be carrying it out in our lives. We need to be living with other Christians, life on life, challenging each other, teaching and admonishing one another in the gospel. So all in that little phrase, teaching and admonishing one another, Paul implies that we need to know the gospel profoundly, how it works out in our lives, and then we need to be in community with one another, working that out. This is a sign of how the word of Christ can dwell richly in us. The next thing Paul says is this, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, this is obviously close to my heart. I'm a, I'm a worship leader, and so I absolutely believe in the power of music as a, a format for proclaiming uh, the gospel. Uh, we sing these amazing lyrics that uh, make it easy for us to remember them, to apply them to our lives. Uh, one of my favorite songs is, is the song Made Alive. It says, I once was dead in sin, alone and hopeless. A child of wrath I walked, condemned in darkness. But your mercy brought new life, and in your love and kindness raised me up with Christ and made me righteous. Uh, music is amazing. And so Paul is, is telling us that a centerpiece of Christian community and of the church should be the singing of songs, spiritual songs, hymns, and psalms. But I think there's a principle there as well. I think if Paul were able to see our day, all the tools that we have through technology, all the ways in which we can reaffirm the gospel's message in our day-to-day -day lives. I think Paul would add to this, too. He would just say, it's not just the singing of songs. It's the nature of taking the gospel with you throughout your life. So when you hear singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, ask yourself whether you're allowing that to happen throughout your week. Are you carrying the gospel message with you? The last thing Paul mentions is doing these things with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so he's talking about cultivating thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness is a, is a critical part of the Christian life. Uh, Psalm 95 says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And this shows up a time and time again in the Psalms, that thanksgiving is how we enter the presence of God. And so 
Cultivating thanksgiving in your life, thankfulness, as Paul would say, it's the first step in worship. When you show up on Sundays, you should be thinking, how am I thankful to God? How can I give him worship and praise? Uh, secondly, it's, it's the key to our prayer life. Uh, we talk, when we have our times of confession on Sundays, we talk about how important it is to be able to be honest with God in prayer. I'm a big believer in this, that uh, you can go to God. He's big enough to handle you going to him and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm angry. Uh, you know what, God, I'm struggling with doubt right now. I don't believe. I don't understand what I'm seeing. I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like the way you're doing things, as far as I can tell. Um, we need to be able to have this kind of honesty. However, we should take a note from the Psalms. When David writes this kind of raw language that we find in the Psalms, he always returns to thanksgiving and worship of God. And so, yes, you can be honest, but your prayer life should also include the giving of thanks to God. What can I be thankful for? Humbling yourself before him, admitting that you do not know even though you're experiencing these questions and those wrestlings, you do not know. And the prayer of faith is one that would proclaim what God tells us about himself and his scriptures. God, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm tired, whatever it is. But Lord, I believe that you are the sovereign over the entire universe and you are good and that you are worthy of my praise. And so even in my understanding, even in my frustration right now, I come to you in faith, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. Thanksgiving is a key to worship. It's a key to prayer. And it's a key to a content life. Philippians, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Being thankful is so important. As we see uh, our daughters, um, you know, they have a choice when we set something down before them. They can look at what's in front of them and be thankful, or they can look at what their sister has and be envious and frustrated. Usually it's the latter of the two. And so we're constantly teaching them to be thankful. And Zoe will all the time say, but it's not fair. It's like, yeah, but kiddo, didn't you get a sucker earlier today? You got a lollipop, didn't you? Yeah, Milo didn't get that. Was that fair to Milo? You can't go through life measuring it in fairness. You have to go through life with thankfulness. Uh, this is what God is telling us through his word. So the word of Christ dwelling richly couple signs of it, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul then summarizes in verse 17, and he really is summarizing the entire chapter, says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in order for the information of the gospel to become mission. Paul says, whatever you do, your action, in word or deed, to do everything in the name of the Lord, in order for that to be true, we need to see that Christ and his word are authoritative and of infinite value. We need this book on the shelf to become the word in our life. We need the man on these pages to become the Lord of our life. You've probably seen the movie Toy Story and uh, when Woody... Uh, lifts up his foot and looks under his shoe, what does he see? He sees the name Andy written on his foot. And throughout the movie, throughout, throughout all the troubles of his journey, uh, he reminds himself that he has an owner who loves him and he is blessed as a result of that. 
We're like that. We need to look and see that Christ has written his name on our hearts. And so this entire sermon, uh, this series, is all really good news. It's all a reaffirmation of the gospel over and over and over again. But if you're like me, as you hear those words, let the word of Christ dwell richly, you probably experience a little tinge of, I know I'm not doing that fully. And that stinks. So the good news for us today is this, that Christ, because of his work and because of his authority, has dwelt in you richly. It has been done on your behalf. When he left, when he ascended to heaven, he sent his spirit, which dwells in us richly, not because of what you've done, not on the basis of your action, but on the basis of what Christ's done. He has dwelled richly in us, And so Paul's scripture today that he's writing to the Colossians and the Lord is using to speak to us today is not that you need to earn the word richly in your life, that you need to earn God's favor, but rather that God's word does dwell. His spirit dwells in you richly. And what does Paul say? He says, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our work is to believe in the one whom God has sent, and to let his word dwell richly in us, which in faith in Christ, it does. So our work is not one of obligation. It shouldn't induce uh, shame in us, but rather it should make us celebrate in joy and thanksgiving. Christ has done the work. In his life, God's word richly dwelled with him in everything he did. He did in the name of the Lord, God his Father. So that is the good news. So as we close, I would just ask you a couple questions. Who are you looking to for authority and value? What blessings and curses do you feel have been spoken over your life that are controlling and dictating how you live and how you act? Do these things line up with the biblical story and your identity in Christ? And are you by chance overlooking the authority of God's good word to us and the man, Jesus Christ, and his infinite value. The main application point is just how can you let Christ's word dwell in you more richly this week? Are you imbibing God's word on a daily basis? Are you fleshing out the implications of the gospel in your life? Are you letting it permeate your life and your senses? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, listening to podcasts, watching videos, whatever it takes, to reaffirm the gospel message in your life throughout the week? Are you living in Christian community? And lastly, are you cultivating thanksgiving in your life? I want you to think, just take 10 seconds right now, think of something that you're thankful, you can be thankful to God today for. Take 10 seconds and think of that. All right, now turn to your neighbor and tell him something you're thankful to God for today. All right, thank you. Let's pray.